We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us wherever you are. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Megan. That was, isn't she good at that? She's so good at this stuff. And if you don't know, she oversees all of our uh, worship here. Uh, and then also oversees all of our communications and oversees kind of our staff meetings and keeps us on task. Because guess what? I'm not very good at that. Hence the hour-long sermons. And so hope you're ready for another long, fun one. Get comfortable. And boy, has it been a crazy week. Right? I don't know if you're happy or sad right now. I, I, I've been watching the news. I am a political junkie. I don't typically share my opinions from stage, but I have lots of them. And so even on Tuesday night or I guess Wednesday morning, I, sat, I, mean, I didn't go to bed till 5 a.m. So messed up, right? And uh, so there's a lot going on. And a lot of you have uh, lots of opinions. And here's kind of why we've been in this uh, Jesus for President. That's what it is. You'll see it behind me. Uh, week six of Jesus for President. Here's kind of the big idea for the whole thing. And it's uh, more important now than it was in week one. And here's what I tell you, you know, as we think about the election, we, we needed to, we should place our vote in a candidate, but we cannot place our hope in a candidate. And some of you are quite disappointed, maybe because you placed your hope in, that, in a candidate. Or some of you are extra excited, and uh, I don't know how long that will last, because uh, your hope will be disappointed in uh, the president-elect as well, not because he's a terrible human being. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm saying the reality is the expectations we have are not going to be met as a country. And so what I kind of established in the very beginning of the series is we have a problem, right? We have a problem, and the problem is our nation is sick. And the reason our nation is sick is because you and I, we're, we're sick. We have our own brokenness and that seems real devastating and doesn't seem real hopeful, but today it's going to be really hopeful, and you'll see why. And here's kind of the big idea that I hope you walk away with today, and if not, I've done a terrible job of communicating when I'm 100% certain, and I'm never usually there, but 100% certain God has for you today. And the big idea is this, is that it has to do with this word right here, authority, and boy, will we talk about it for a while. And the big idea is this, is you, you and I, have at least as much if not more authority than President Trump, President-elect Joe Biden. You have more authority, and please don't be offended if I for using President-elect. We'll see how it all plays out. That wasn't like an, a political statement. It's just a former vice president, whatever you want to hear there. I know it's all sorts of complicated. But you have more authority, or at least as much authority, as either this guy or this guy, right? You have, you and I have, either as much, if not more authority than the U.S. Senate. You have, or I have, at least as much authority in our nation as the Supreme Court justices. You and I have at least as much authority as the House of Representatives, right? Now, we'll get to it later, not today, but with that authority, I would argue, comes some real responsibility. But today we're not talking about that, we're just going to talk about authority, right? There is, you actually should not be devastated at the landscape of our nation or our political ideologies because they were, a, they were a false hope, right? Our political left, political right, political center is a, an illusion of control that will not fix anything. It does not have the authority that you and I need to live well, experience good life, and bring hope and peace and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit to our community. It does not have the authority. It does not have the authority to speak that kind of power and bring that kind of hope to our nation. But you and I, we have that authority, and this isn't some name it, claim it, you know, psycho babble, dream it up in your head. This is biblically rooted, and for those of us who are Christians, there is a deep, deep, deep level of responsibility and hope that comes with what we're going to see today in the scriptures. Now, if you're not a Christian, really, really glad you're here, and it's gonna, you're going to wrestle with it a little bit, and some of that's because of the last couple hundred years, what I'd argue is modernity or, you know, the modern world that all talked about the physical, right? Uh, something physically you can measure or see or understand, and it must not be real. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about a realm in our world that uh, isn't usually talked about, and the reason it's not usually talked about is because it's, it's hard to quantify and explain. But it doesn't mean it's not real, right? You can't quantify or explain love, right? I mean, it's not a physical attribute. No, it's an act. You can see it in, in play. But love is something beyond what's just physical, right? You can't actually quantify and explain evil. Now, maybe you can explain the, the fruits of evil. Maybe you can chart up, you know, all sorts of 
heinous and evil things that happen in our world. But there is something, and none of us would argue this. You don't have to be a Christian to, to, to agree with this. All of us kind of would agree that there is evil in our world. And there, uh, so maybe that just evil humans, okay? But they've, they've kind of been evil humans throughout human history. And so we go, well, where does that come from? And today we're going to really, really get some understanding on this. So I'm just going to um, invite you, particularly non-Christians and Christians alike, I guess, but specifically non-Christians, to just be curious about what we're talking about. And just say, how about this? Let's start here. God, if you're real, which you don't have to believe he is, but if, if you are real, like if that's a possibility, would, would you just make yourself known today? And I think he will. What, what the scripture tells us whenever he opens his word, it never returns void, meaning we're about to read his scriptures. Isaiah 55 captures that for us. And there is something for you here today. And Jesus intends that for you. And so can we have expectation of that? And so it just makes sense to me that we would pray before we start reading any scriptures and invite God to make himself known. So non-Christians, you can go, God, I don't believe you're real. You can tell him that. He can handle it. But if you are, would you, would you show yourself off today? Uh, for those of us who are Christians, we pray, instead of spectating, let me pray. Would you just I don't understand authority ability? I don't understand all those things. But if you could help me see what you want me to do in light of our current circumstances. Do that. And so I'm going to pray here. And so I'm going to bow our heads. You don't have to do that if that's weird for you. I'm going to close my eyes. You don't have to do that if that's weird for you. And just for a second, 10, 15 seconds, I'm just going to delay me speaking. Just so I don't distract you from anything you want to say to God or something you want to talk to him about or something you want to explain to him in terms of your disappointment. Whatever that is, you're allowed to do that. And then we'll, we'll jump in. And so would you pray with me? Jesus, um, we have authority, but it's not our authority. It's your authority that you have given to us. And God, I, I pray that you would give us supernatural wisdom to stand in our role in what you've been up to. And God, beyond supernatural wisdom, and you supernatural courage to say whatever it is you've said to whomever you've told us to say it to, to do whatever you told us to do that is God. Would you please speak, Holy Spirit? It seems, uh, if we're going to talk about how great we're the one at work and that we place our hope in you, it makes sense that we all pause and consider that and I try to just logically connect some dots through the scripture or in our world to a supernatural work. Would we all, every single man, woman, and child in the sanctuary, out in the parking lot, receiving your sunshine right now, God, online with all of us, God, be able to claim that we are going to see a victory. We're going to see a victory. Because the battle does. Jesus, amen. we go. Okay, that's what we're going to jump into. Kind of get you up to speed if you've just gotten with us. Let's see what's going on there. Got a little bit of hiss. We good? Okay. Wait, nope. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so it's pretty interesting. So I, um, I like I don't usually use a handheld because I'm not uh, spirit filled enough. Like I like the you know, the people who preach that way, but I'm just not that Pentecostal. But this is a message on on the Holy Spirit. So how neat is that? In fact, on Friday uh, I was trying to get all my uh, felt board stuff up, right? And uh, 
what I do is I print them on the printer, and I'll show you. And then on the back of them, I just put some felt paper, right? So it's just paper that I put some felt on and make them. And kind of helps me think through the sermon and helps me pause for a second. And I could not get the printer to work. And I'm going, what is going on? And I, I don't know if you hate printers. I hate printers always. And couldn't get them to work, and it wasn't working. And <laughs> it's so funny that I, I literally am going, I'm going to teach on authority, that Jesus, you give us authority. So I go in there, and I'm like laying my hands on the printer, casting out demons from the printer and going, in the name of Jesus, stand up and print, right? And believe it or not, I'm not kidding you. I go back, I hit print, and it starts firing up. So we'll just see what God's up to today, right? So we're in Luke. So uh, backstory is Luke is a biographical sketch of the story of Jesus' life. And um, in this story, which is so amazing to me, uh, Luke goes and sits down with all the eyewitnesses he can, reads all the documents. We're actually going to read one of the documents he would have written, uh, read in Colossians. Right? Uh, it's a letter by Paul to a ch- church at Colossae. 25 years before Luke writes his gospel, so he's gathering all the written documents. He's going to listen to all the preachers and all the different New Age arguments, and he's going to go receive all those things. And then he's going to go sit down with all the eyewitnesses, and then he's going to put together this this account of Jesus' life. And he tells us in Luke chapter 1, the reason he does it is so that we'd have certainty of the things we've been taught. And so, I don't know, three, four months ago, it just made sense that we don't have a lot of certainty in our world and a lot of certainty in our life. And if we're going to try to figure out how to live with certainty, we probably should figure out how to live in this, you know, what seems hopeless at, a t- at times. And my belief, and I believe this is accurate, the way by which you have certainty is you cling to what you know to be true, right? That's how you find certainty. And so what I love what Luke does is he says he's going to write so that we have certainty. The Gospel of John, which uh, is another biographical sketch, quotes Jesus saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if you want to have certainty, you've got to know what's true. In order to know truth, you've got to know Jesus. The reason being is Jesus actually says truth is not some idea or philosophy. It is a person. And so uh, we've just kind of been working through this biographical sketch. And so we've been to, uh, to the first three chapters now in chapter 4. And so the Gospel of Luke is 1,151 verses, lots of, lots of words written in a chronological account of Jesus' life. 568 of those verses are direct quotations of Jesus. And so finally we kind of started getting into those last week. And what's so interesting is Jesus is going to start speaking, but he's actually going to quote Isaiah, who's quoting his dad, God, from 700 years earlier. And it started with the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Really, really important. you got to understand that. So when Jesus starts his ministry, he starts it with the Spirit of the living God. This triune God comes and lands on him. We see it in the, the, the baptism that he comes out of the water showing this is what's going to happen for you. The old you is going to die, and the new you is going to come to life, and the Spirit is going to dwell on you. And that's why it gets hard going, wait, wait. That's not physical. That's metaphysical. That's a realm we can't understand. And Jesus, over and over again in the Scriptures, tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Right? Paul tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. And so what's gonna, what you're going to see now is how you overcome evil and how you walk into the hope and life that Jesus has because he's about to set up his kingdom. Now, here's the crazy thing. His kingdom is not something way distant in the future. In fact, John the Baptist says it this way. He says, repent, change your mind, that's what that means, for the kingdom of God is near. Here's what's so crazy about this. Not only do you have more authority, or at least as much authority, as the President of the United States, the Senate of the United States, the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, not only do you have at least as much authority, that authority begins now, and you get to experience the kingdom of heaven. Not when you die someday in the future, but that's available to us now, right? So what God could potentially be up to is he could be taking our hopes that we've tethered to our country and to our nation. This isn't an anti-patriotic message, you'll hear. And instead of placing them into a political party, to now would be the time we place it back into Jesus, we receive his power, we receive his authority, and then we go and live the gospel the way that he intends. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting up this new paradigm where the kingdom of heaven, that heaven is about to enter this earth, And then he's going to use his followers, his disciples, to participate in bringing that kingdom of heaven to earth, right? The way that Martin Luther says it is this way. He says, to make the visible or invisible kingdom visible. So we've just been kind of charting and watching Jesus speak. Last week we saw him open up the scriptures and declare that he came to uh, bring liberty to the captives, to the oppressed, to recover sight to the blind. And as he makes those proclamations, this little Jewish synagogue in Nazareth goes, that's not what we're looking for. We're actually looking for you to give us more money, lower our taxes, give us our land back. We don't care about all those other things, Jesus. You're kind of the wrong person to tell us because you're homeless. 
And so they literally run him out of town to the point where they try to murder him. He disappears, and now he's going to end up in a new town, and this town's going to be a lot of fun. It's a town called Capernaum, and I'm about to read about it to you in just a second. And so just let me get this up here, and then we'll start reading. So he's going to make this trip. That matter. You don't really have to see it. From Nazareth on up to Capernaum. So this is where we find Jesus today. Let's bring Jesus here. Let's say goodbye to our candidates. And so, Jesus, authority, let's read. So Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. You ready for this? And he went down to Capernaum, okay, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So what that means is, it's kind of interesting, he actually goes up, but in terms of, I guess, topography, he goes from Nazareth, can't really see it too well, all the way over to this town called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is on this sea of Galilee. And now, what you're going to see is Jesus is going to be in this place for basically the next two years. We're going to continue to read and watch Jesus play out his ministry kind of as Capernaum, as his home base from Luke chapter 4 all the way through Luke chapter 18. This is where Jesus is going to be. Now, he's, uh, this is a little fishing town. It's eight miles wide, 13 miles, uh, you know, long, and that maybe even a little bigger back in those days. At that point, there's only about 100 or so people who live in Capernaum, maybe 150 at the most. And so what's happened since then, there's been a lot more development, a lot more people have moved into the area, so the assumption is a lot of that water has been brought, brought out of the lake, so it's kind of shrunk the size of it, about 8 miles long, by, or wide, about 13 miles. So this is a massive lake, big fish, and there's going to be a lot of people in this town that are fishermen, particularly uh, Jesus' first followers, uh, Peter and Andrew. They're living in this town. And so Jesus is basically going to sleep on, I guess, Peter's couch. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't have his own deed to his own property. And he's moved himself into Capernaum kind of as home base. The reason being, no prophet, as he said at the end of it, is accepted in his hometown in Nazareth. So that's where we find him. And so it says this, And he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So the neat thing is, Capernaum is this town of maybe... 12 to 15 families. In fact, I want you to see the, the excavation of it. Look at this picture of what Capernaum looks like. So, I don't know if you can see it real well, but each one of those little plots are people's homes. You see that? So you can kind of see the rocks in between it. You can see kind of, you see that step. That's kind of the alleyway down the middle. And you got all these homes of, of people who live there, right? And so this would have been how a lot of Middle Eastern uh, cities would have been built, that you basically share the, the, the wall with a neighbor. In fact, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where you are, I might be also, he was referencing kind of first century culture, which was when a family got married, the husband, before they got married, would go back to his dad's house, and he would build on to his compound. So when you hear the word compound, you think big, massive thing, but no, he just would have started adding some new rocks to the wall right next to it, right? This is, this is beautiful, right? All truth belongs to God. These are folks who don't have debt because they just add a couple walls to the, the home. And so the homes in this size for an entire family was about four or 500 square feet. So families would have been added to this little plot. And so you see it. It's like a little condominium or a townhome compound. And so you'd see how that was. And so Jesus is now going to go live, make the home base, and one of those little bitty squares. Okay, you can take that picture down. Thanks, Elmer. And so that's where we find him uh, in Capernaum. And it says that he went there. And the last thing you've got to notice about this. And it says, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Really, really important in Jewish culture. Sabbath was the day of worship and honor and reflection and rest. So this would not have been a work day. But the teachers in the synagogue would have gone and preached. And so that's where we find Jesus. You're going to see over and over again that Jesus is going to do some things that upset people on the Sabbath. Because he's actually going to restore people's sight bring healing to people but that's for a different conversation verse 32 it says this and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority there it is the word authority interesting that the english standard version uses the word possessed because you're going to see a different possession here but that literally means that that a possessed authority is like this delegation of empowerment so um, throughout uh, the Old Testament, even the uh, first couple centuries, when you see kings or emperors, they would send out people to do their bidding, but they would give them a seal to say, this person has my authority. So they were hearing Jesus. Jesus wasn't even declaring this yet. They were hearing him and going, it seems like he has been given authority to teach these words, okay? Who does the authority come from? Well, he's actually teaching God's Bible, 
right? So when you see the scriptures, I want you to see them not as just like the, 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 what we have. It's basically 66 separate books with you go, well, they have different themes written to different people. But what I want you to see in the scriptures, even the Old Testament, which is all about God's promises, this is a one story written over 1,500, 1,600 years, all about God's heart for us, right? So that's one of the things I think is so amazing is people say over and over again, boy, I've said it in my life, I just wish God would speak, right? And I almost always say it facetiously. Yeah, me too. I, like, it'd be nice if he would take hundreds of years to sit down and pen a letter that tells us all about how much he loves us, tells us his heart, and reveals to us his plans for us and for the world. Wouldn't that be nice if he would just be so intentional with that, right? But that's what the scriptures are. It's not just this how-to book, not some manual. It literally is God revealing his heart for his people and his plans to restore our world. And so as Jesus is teaching this, they're going, hey, it seems like he has some authority in this teaching. Well, it's because he's the one who wrote these words, so it makes sense that he would have authority. And it continues to say this, verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. So this is where it's going to get funny. And this is where it gets awkward because this is not something we talk about much. So we see this creepy word that we don't know a lot about, demon. It is not just like a, a one-time statement. In fact, um, Luke uses this at least 20 more times, maybe 22 more times, this word demon. Okay? In the Gospels, just the four stories about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that word, it's like the Greek word Damien, right? Uh, that word uh, shows up over 60 times, the word demon. So now all of a sudden, he, God possesses authority, and he's going to show up and deal with this demon. The word described as something, uh, the way you describe it as an evil spirit, something beyond the realm of this world. And see, this is where I, I, I lose our modern folks who go, well, I I don't know how you quantify that. I don't know how you understand that. Like, what do you mean demon? And No, no, that's not demons. We have, you know, psychologists and scientists who have discovered that what goes on in people's mind is more of a chemical imbalance. And some of that might be the case. And But some of this, what we're looking at is actually this one who's taken authority over our lives in a way that they shouldn't. So it makes sense as we sort through this. And this isn't because I'm describing either one of our presidential uh, candidates as demon-possessed, but it does make sense if we're kind of seeing what's going on in our world. We understand the evil at play and understand who has the authority to do something about the evil. So what happens to show up in the scriptures, Jesus is mounting his ministry. He's made some declarations, and the very first thing we see, some of the first miracles, right, and according to Luke, the things that he wants us to see, right? Some of the other gospels capture this moment where Jesus turns water into wine and, and you know, invites new uh, followers in by making fish appear. But the first one Luke wants you to really, really see and understand right the second is that Jesus has authority over evil. So you see it there uh, that there's a spirit of an unclean demon. So we got to figure out what to do with demons. And to think about demons, one of the words you might be familiar with is this word, Satan. Satan. Uh, uh, properly in the Old Testament, you wouldn't call him Satan. You'd call him the Satan or Satan. It just means, this is just another describer of Satan. And so he, that's kind of been the name that's stuck. But this literally just means the adversary. So what Satan means, the adversary. And so he's described in multiple places as the adversary, uh, the evil one, the ruler of this world, the king of lies, all sorts of stuff. And so the one that seems to stick is the one that says the adversary, meaning the one who opposes Jesus, right? The one who opposes the kingdom. And this is where it gets really, really uncomfortable. And some of you go, I don't believe in Satan. And, you know, there's no such thing. It's just, you know, and I go, okay, well, where does good and bad come from? Right? Here's the thing I would I'd definitely say we all agree on. I told you at the beginning is we all agree there's evil. We all agree with that. There are so many heinous things that happen in our world that none of us go, there's no evil. Right? And even as we look at uh, systematic evil, however you want to describe that, and what you see is that you see those with power influencing and leveraging their power over people who don't have power, right? And when you see this play out throughout history, it's typically uh, men with power that, that ends up creating real pain and real sorrow, sorrow for women and children, right? So there's this power. And so throughout scriptures, what you can see is you can see kind of hidden behind the scene is this demonic force, right? This is where Jesus tells us, hey, our enemy is not us. 
Uh, he, Paul tells us our enemy is not flesh and blood. There's something lurking behind there. And we don't talk about it because you can't really explain that. We see it in the scriptures starting early on, and we see it kind of Genesis 2 and 3, and then it kind of plays out, and we go, well, even if we don't agree with it, even if we don't believe in it, we would at least agree there's evil. And we go, well, where does evil originate? So is it that God's both yin and yang? No. Throughout the scriptures, God is good and loving and gracious. And yet, throughout the scriptures, there's horrific things happening. You see it play out throughout the scriptures. And if you don't believe in the scriptures, throughout the human history. Right? And so you go, where does that come from? We've probably got to figure out where it comes from. And so what the scriptures tell us, there's this Satan, this Satan, this adversary. We see him show up in Genesis 2 and 3 as a serpent. Right? As a, as a serpent. So we see him play out there, and then we see him play out in all sorts of ways. You go, well, there's not enough information. Is that just a snake? And I'm like, no, there's, there's some places in Ezekiel and Isaiah who talk clearly about what happened with this, this enemy, this Satan. And basically, uh, the same temptation he offers Adam and Eve, what we see play out, is that he isn't really interested in following God. He's actually more interested in becoming his own God. And so he decides to wrongly and inappropriately and pretty um, ignorantly uh, decides to kind of take his own throne, his own authority as someone to be worshipped. And God goes, you don't have any authority. You don't have any authority. And so he gets cast out, and so we see is this, this enemy. And watch it play out in human history. Uh, that is continuing to cr- create damage and sorrow in our world. And I'd say this, uh, that Satan's goal isn't necessarily to just destroy you, right? He might simply just be as interested in distracting you, right? Because if he distracts you long enough, you'll it'll end up leading you to destruction. And so C.S. Lewis says it really well in Screwtape Letters, kind of the satirical uh, writing, beautiful, of a kind of higher-level demon speaking to, like, an underling. So it's not a true story, but he offers some pretty interesting insight into uh, the, the supernatural world. And this is what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our ra- race could fall about the devil. So he's saying, hey, there's two ways that typically people see this that can mess it up. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So he goes, hey, there's kind of two options that both either completely ignore the, the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, and pretend like it doesn't exist, or to live your life as though that is kind of the complication of thing that you see the whole world and you think, and when you wake up, you think about demons and their attack. And what it does is it ends up paralyzing you in this end and leads you to a place of, you know, of, pain and sorrow because you don't even understand the attack or what's going on. So uh, C.S. Lewis goes, hey, we, we have to acknowledge they exist. We have to understand their role, right? You got to understand your enemy because you got if you understand your enemy, then you understand how they attack, but we can't blame the enemy for everything. In fact, so there's two things that I'd like to tell you about demons. It's uh, this right here. First one, Satan. He's not equal to God. Really important they understand this. Satan does not have the authority that God has. Right? He didn't speak the world into existence. He's a fallen angel who is looking for worship and affection and attention and doesn't have the authority in this world to, to, to rule and reign. It. No, he's an evil one. He is an enemy. And you can go, well, why in the world would God even do that? Why in the world would God allow that? And there's be a, a long theological conversation about it, but at the base level, it's the same reason that God put a piece of fruit in the, in the, in the garden in the beginning, right? He didn't do it because he wanted to create pain and suffering for Adam and Eve. Same reason he gives us the Ten Commandments. The whole reason for all this is so that we can understand we need a Savior. Right? The whole goal of entire humanity, ready for this, is for you and Jesus to be together forever. Whole goal. Right? That's the whole goal. That's the whole goal. God created humans because he had infinite love to extend his love and be in a perfect relationship. Perfect God in a perfect relationship with his humanity, his children. Right? Whole goal was for us and him to be together forever. That's it. That's the whole goal forever. Right? And so um, the worst thing that could happen is for humans to not understand their need for a God. To go, no, I got this. I'm comfortable. I can do this all on my own. Right? Many of us have lived that world for a long time and finally something tragic or horrific happens in your life and you finally come to the conclusion, I need help. I need a Savior. In fact, everybody who's a Christian in this room has had a moment where they thought they had it together and then came to the conclusion they did not have it together. That's what the basis of Christianity is. We can't fix ourselves. So if the fruit was to help Adam and Eve understand they can't fix themselves, that they couldn't put their hope in a piece of fruit. If the Ten Commandments were to help the Israelites understand they couldn't follow them well. To have an enemy or an adversary who is reminding us daily how broken and incapable we are in our own life, 
right? And so he is not God. He's not equal to God. So this is really important because that means he's not omniscient. He can't read everybody's thoughts. He's not omnipresent. Here's the thing is Satan can only be one in one place at one time. You got that? Like he's not in your home and my home equally at all the time. That's, that's, that's impossible because he's not God's yang to his yin, right? So, you know, could there be demonic pressures in your home? Could there be spiritual forces? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that is not Satan himself. There's, a, there's an organizational structure where he implores the, the evil ones, the, the enemy, to actually do some damage. So you got to understand that. He's not equal to God, but has some ammunition that can cause some deep pain for us. And you go, well, how in the world does he do the pain? And the, the best way I can probably explain it is, I, I, don't, I am a huge fan, huge fan of talk therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, uh, uh, attachment theory, uh, approach to, to therapy. I, I, I'm a fan of it because there's stuff in our brain that um, has, has real trauma to it. And what we realize is the way by which that trauma gets, it creates some real pain in your brain, literally. And the way by which that res- is resolved is actually through grieving. In other words, you can't he, there's no healing without grieving, and you can't grieve alone. And so therapy's a really, really good option for that. And uh, really great therapists have a real good way of not actually telling you what's wrong, but helping you come to some conclusions, right? They, can, they have understanding of how human psyche works, and they're patient, and they can work with you. Now, so they have an understanding of the human brain and, you know, uh, uh, anthropology, you know, sociology, all those things. Now, imagine having a therapist with thousands of years of experience who also hates you or hates humans now imagine their understanding of the human brain and their understanding of all those things and what they could tease you with or explain to you that it's filled with half truths and the damage it could cause some of you know this some of you have had therapists that weren't uh for you weren't godly whatever those things are and some of that created some real damage to you or not even a therapist some of you the reason you've gone to therapy is because of these words that have been implanted to you from your mom or dad you got words like lazy and fat and worthless and never amount to anything that are just this ingrained on our soul from people who've spoken that death of us hold on to that thought right the speaking death and so imagine an enemy who has the ability to do that and be behind the scenes to lead others in that and what you have is that deep deep sorrow in our world and so they have some abilities they're not god they're not equal to god but they're someone we still have to understand and understand their attack and so the first thing i say is they're not equal to god and this is one is equally important they're not your only enemy one of the overcorrections of explaining, thinking about demons all the time, is sometimes you give demons credit for things that demons didn't do. Right? There's so much in our life. We've got two different other real battles for us as we think about the enemy. Like, your only enemy is not some demonic force. The other enemy is a broken world and broken systems in this world. And you ready for this? And a broken you. Right? Some of the times you give, you give blame to an enemy because... You decided to click log into that thing you shouldn't. You decided to hit send to the thing you shouldn't. You decided to download, uh, you know, both on the computer and in your mind, whatever it is, the thing that you shouldn't, right? In many ways, we go, we start thinking about demons and start thinking about the Satan, and all of a sudden we go, we're just helpless. And at some point, you gotta go, nope, that's not your only enemy. It's not your only enemy. There, there are actual enemies in this world, and there are actual powers in this. And so, yep, they've been influenced. They've been influenced by the demonic powers, but there are people who are who do damage now they're not our big enemy right and there's a world filled with structures that uh, lead people to want more power and more authority that end up leveraging their power and authority and to take gain and pleasure in other people you have racism and slavery and trafficking all as a result of these systems of power and so the satan is not your only enemy he's behind the scenes this the demons aren't the only enemy so we have to go hey you gotta acknowledge both those things so we have satan we have demons and we have some issues in our world and i would say when we look at the u.s and look at some of its struggles throughout human history or throughout our nation's history and we go back to the roman empire we go all through all the different government practice, uh, practices what you're going to see behind the scenes is there is an enemy who's doing real damage and finally maybe maybe in 2020 we can acknowledge that there's a broken world that we can participate in bringing hope and healing to so maybe all this mess out there could be at least drawing us to focus back on what God could be up to. And so let's see what Jesus does with this enemy. And watch this. Verse 34, it says this. Ha! What have you to do with us? So that's interesting, that word. Ha is actually, um, in the Greek, is like a surprise, but it's also indignation. 
So, like you'll see in some of the uh, translations, like leave us alone, but it's more of a, like a, a like a, a real surprise, but also like a disgust. So this, ha, what have you to do with us? Now watch what he says. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this is really interesting. Why it's really important for the church, right? So this is, these are demons. They're possessing a man. They have power and authority, it sure seems like, over this man. And they, they are, now they interact, they encounter Jesus. And what, what's happening in this moment is they're actually acknowledging who Jesus is. You see, they're calling him the Holy One. They understand exactly who he is. And so demons and Satan have a real, the, the term is Christology, right? A real high view of Christ, the study of Christ and his saving power. So this is really important because you see throughout the scriptures where demons believe and declare that Jesus is Lord. They believe this, right? So this idea that all you got to do is believe in God and everything's okay. No, 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 no. Because demons believe in God. You get that, right? Satan definitely believes in God, but they're not going to spend an eternity with God and his coming kingdom. Right? So it's not just, they're not just acknowledging that he has the power and authority there. Uh, what happens is, so for many of us, we go, oh, I believe in God, I believe he's out there, and all that kind of stuff. No, there's a difference between acknowledging it and surrendering yourself, acknowledging your need for that God, and placing yourself below him, calling him Lord and Savior, and walking in a life that, that offers that, right? And so demons have a high value. So you go, okay, well, what we see here now is we see Jesus show up, and he shows up to this guy who obviously is pretty tormented. No, Jesus is about to do something, but it does make sense we pause for a second and go, well, how did this happen for this guy? Like, you're curious about that, right? Like, okay, if, if demon possession, if it's real, if demon influence is real, well, how does that happen, right? And I think the best uh, explanation, I don't know this will be a perfect analogy, but, so, but stick with me, right, um, would be looking at a house. When you think about a house, it's like your life. So this guy who has this demon taking up residence. Jesus is going to take up residence in Capernaum for a while. This guy got a house. And so what you see in this house is uh, kind of someone's home, right? So he lives there and you go, well, how does someone get into your house? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Either they get there by invitation or invasion. Everybody with me? This isn't this isn't like some profound thing. Either they get there by invitation or they get there by invasion. In other words, you have this house and either you invite people into your home to take up residence, to be a guest, to join you for a little while, to have dinner with you, or they come in by invasion, right? So how do people come in by invasion? Well, the door's left open. The windows are left open, right? And so what we have to see is we see evil take you know, present in our life, and that's why it's really important to go. He's not equal to God, so he can't come and destroy you. If you claim Jesus as Lord, he can't come and take your home from you. He can't say it's his because it belongs to Jesus, right? So we understand the authority piece, but he can come in and influence things, and he can create some complications. So you go, how in the world do we stop him from doing that? Well, one, we got to understand he's not equal to God, which means he doesn't have the authority there. But the second one is you have to understand that he's not our only enemy, right? A lot of times, the reason that we've been in pain is we've invited that influence in. And this is where it gets uncomfortable, guys. Some of the things we look at, maybe they're not a full-on invasion, but sure, they an invitation to our minds. Right? Like, I'm 39 years old. I grew up in a pastor's home. Loved my life and could not imagine a better one. But as a 39-year-old, there are still imprints on my mind of things I saw as an 8 and 9 and 10 and 12-year-old right? There are decisions I made as a 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-old that still have real implications to my life now and my marriage and the way that I parent. You follow me? Like, there is a, there's an actual home, like, that I have residence in, and while I've never been demon-possessed, the Lord is Lord of my life, the influence and the stuff that I've cracked the windows on, unlocked the door on, that people have, that there's been some invasion into our home, not necessarily by complete invitation, but also not by creating a real roadblock in it, right? That has done real damage. One of the reasons we've got to be real careful with what we put in front of our children, the things we say in front of our children, those little devices that we have that we stick in our pocket that our kids stick in their pockets. You follow me? This is, there, is, there is something that happens this influence of this world, the stuff that you see through social media that's just real dangerous. So if it's a house, and you're allowing and inviting stuff in, there's things that we got to shut off all our, from our computer. There's accountability software that should probably go on. There's things that we probably shouldn't eat or drink, or people we probably shouldn't hang out with. 
right? And this isn't a teetotaler, you better have your life all in order. This is, there is an, an enemy, hear me, who hates you. He hates you and he hates your children worse than anything you could ever imagine. And he will do what he can to bring whatever damage he can, right? Because he doesn't need to just destroy you as long as he can distract you. And if I were the enemy, you know how I'd distract you? Really simple. I'd come up with some device that you could hook to your side that could keep you completely connected to all the stuff that I was up to in the world. That would keep you completely connected, that you would always be aware of all the ways by which there is defeat and pain and sorrow in the world. And I would invite you in to distract yourself from that pain and sorrow by escaping and numbing yourself to something else. And literally, we have these little devices that we carry around everywhere. And so when we think about how does this happen, what we see throughout the scriptures is there's this, there's this indwelling or this influence. And if we think of it as a house, we go, guys, we, we need a security system. And you need to be a security system for your children. Right? We need to figure out a way to lock the doors. We've got to figure out a way to shut the windows. We've got to figure out a way to fuel our house with the opposite of this disgust and this pain. Right? This isn't, hey, I want you all to you know, close up your homes and never go love the world. But it is. We have to be aware of what we input. Because what come, goes into us is eventually what goes out of us. The scriptures are very clear in this. Uh, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. It tells us in Proverbs that uh, for, for all else, guard your heart or your home, right? For it's the wellspring of life. That's where life happens. And so whatever happened for this guy, something happened. Whether it was invitation or invasion, there was an indwelling of a demonic spirit. And so let's see what Jesus does. Now, that's scary, overwhelming, but it gets better. Now watch what happens. So he goes, Holy One of God, verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. A couple things to point out here. That word rebuke isn't what you think it is. It's, it's so interesting. I, I was, we see it three times in Scripture. It literally means to assign value to. That's all it means. So Jesus assigned value to that demon. He goes, oh, you don't have authority. Oh, you don't have power. Like, it literally just diminishes something's value. So when that rebuke, literally Jesus is going, you have no authority over my people. Oh, you can't, you can't harm what I cover. No, you can't do that. And so he rebukes the demon. He reminds the demon of his lack of authority, his lack of a power, right? And then he tells it to get out. And you see what happens? Demon, in his last flail, tries to do some damage to the person and slings him onto the ground, right? Unclean spirits walk out of him, get, leave him, slings him on the ground. And this is what's so beautiful. It says, having done no harm. You see this? So I just told you all the fearful stuff and all the scary stuff of what we invite into our home. And we see in this moment when Jesus cleans house, he cleans the house. And there's no harm done to the person. So in some ways I just told you, we've got to protect all the stuff. All true. We've got to protect the influences. And yet, when the power of the living God speaks into someone, speaks into their home, speaks into their heart, speaks into their mind, he cleans house and he protects us from all harm get that, right? Like, he protects us from all harm. So this is not something, that's why we can't overgrow all the demons are going to kill us. No, 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 no. Jesus can speak life. He can breathe life back into us and protect us from harm. And they were, watch this, all amazed. They were all amazed. And said to one another, what is this word? For with his authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. This is really, really neat. So they see something crazy happen, and they go, what can we learn from this? <laughs> what just happened? Like, what can we learn from this? You understand the importance of this? Like, we, we see this scripture, and we go, okay, I don't understand demons. I don't understand this, but what in the world's going on? What can we learn from this? But you see why they were so interested. You see the proclamation. For he had the authority and power, and he commands. He has authority and power. He has authority and power over our nation. He has authority and power over our lives and our families. He has authority and power. Like he is a king. And he has a kingdom. And he's inviting us into this. And usually when we think about people with authority and power, we cower a little bit and tremble a little bit because we have life experience. And we have historical context to know that those with authority and power usually don't do well with it. But this is a perfect God who does perfect with it, and he has authority and power. So they pause and go, well, what do we need to know? Which is a really good question. What do you and I need to know? Well, let's see what happens next. 
and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So they wonder, what just happened? He has authority and power over evil influences. Really, really important. And then those reports start to spread. And it says this, verse 38, and he rose and left the synagogue. So he left. And now we've got a scene change. And he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. So all of a sudden, we see he has authority over demons. They go, what do we learn from that? They start talking about this. And then Jesus kind of goes, leaves the synagogue, and goes into a home. Now what's interesting here is being in the synagogue is appropriate for a teacher on Sabbath. Going and do working, work in someone's home is not. So Jesus is about to defy the rules of the law of the day, right? And so he goes into a home, and the home he goes to is Simon Peter, one of his disciples' uh, mother-in-law. So he goes into the little Capernaum house, probably one of the ones we saw, and he walks in and it makes sense that Simon would have lived close to where his mother-in-law were, so maybe they shared a, a wall or a room, I don't really know, and so they show up there, and what we see is we see Simon Peter's uh, mother who is sick. So we've seen that Jesus has authority over the demons. Now, what we're about to see, this is, has, I can't express the, the importance of this, what we're about to see is Jesus also has the authority over sickness. Anyone interested in that right now? Anyone concerned about sickness invading our world, our nation? Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a room that I can't tell if you're smiling or laughing, which is not fun for me, right? I'm sure it's not fun for you as well. Like even last week when we had communion, you're like, am I allowed to take this down? Like, do you understand the complications of our world? And boy, do we got to do some more work on this, and I'll continue to talk to you about it. But what you're about to see is we're at this fear and this paralysis kind of taken over our nation. And please don't hear me in any political sense of this, right? It is real. And there is real pain and sorrow. The sickness is murdering people's lives. And the sickness is creating all sorts of argumentative, frustrating disunity within the church. We know it's true. Right? And so I just go, hey, again, would you please be gracious to one another in this? But would you see that there is a king and lord over the sickness? Because what we're about to see is Jesus walks into her home. He just literally rebuked the demons and they walked out. He can, if he can handle a demon, you think he can handle the sickness? Well, let's see. So let's see what happens next. And he goes in, high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. By the way, another thing to kind of see here, really, really important. You don't see her asking for anything. It may be because her sickness is so bad that she can't. You see how Jesus responds? He responds to other people appealing on her behalf. So you go, well, what, what do we do in the middle of this? Well, what do we do with sickness? We see a couple things in scriptures. You'll hear a little bit more in a second in terms of authority. But the first thing we see is we actually have the benefit to take these ailments and problems to Jesus, even on someone else's behalf. We have to take people who are paralyzed and take them to Jesus. You'll see it in a few weeks. On, on other people's behalf, where Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and healing. And so he's going to respond. They appeal to her on her behalf. And this is what happens next. And he stood up over her. See the word again? And rebuked the fever. Rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. <laughs> so funny. And if I was misogynistic, I'd spend a lot of time talking about what happens next. He, you know, she makes him a sandwich. That's not the talk. And, I, and it's funny. And I'd say it funny, but I'd be afraid that we'd lose sight of what's actually going on here. And so you see what he does here? He's, he rebukes the fever. Remember, the word rebuke there actually means to, to assign its value. Like, hey, sickness, you don't have any power or value or ability over my child the one who I made in my image, the one who I formed in the womb. You have no power. So again, we see the rebuke, but this time it's over sickness. So we now see that Jesus has authority over demons and authority. He speaks it out over, over sickness. Speaks it out. And immediately she rose up and began to serve. So she gets up and she gets going again. By the way, that word serve there is uh, the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get deacon. This is the ministry of people. And so it's so beautiful here. And we've got to understand this. When Jesus does this, when he brings people to their real identity, he rebukes the things that are destroying them, killing them, keeping them from life, right? What it tells us in John is that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. We understand this in Luke chapter 10 during the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan when he asked the, the lawyer who, uh, who, 
uh, who's your neighbor? And he goes, the one who served. And he goes, do this and you shall live. Meaning the way by which you find real life is actually through serving. And so this isn't, oh, she made him a sandwich. That's cute. This is, she got back to her real identity, right? When she got removed the things that were restricting her, it actually let her do what she was wired and made to do. And guess what she was wired and made to do? The same thing we are, which is to serve. So we see when we are released from this, our, the, the motivation has to be to go and seek and save the lost and serve other people, right? And so we see that happen, and then it says this. Now when the sun was setting, so this, this has been the Sabbath day, really, really great one. Um, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So these are Jews who go, we can't do anything on the Sabbath, and they're waiting for the sun to go down. They're like, the sun's down. Let's go find Jesus. So they all go and find Jesus, a bunch of people who are sick. A bunch of people have lots of stuff. So Jesus is going to speak authority over those who are sick. He's going to speak authority over those who are demon-possessed. So watch this. Um, and he healed them, every single one of them. So now when some something, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And watch this. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. There it is, Christology again. He's going, you're the son of God. They come out and they're going, we don't have any authority. He rebuked us. You're the son of God. Now watch what Jesus says here. But he rebuke them third time you don't have any value you don't have any power you can't say those things right he rebuked them and would not let them speak because they knew that he was the christ and so a lot of people go the reason being is he wasn't ready for people to know no 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 they didn't have the authority to tell anyone they have no power they can't speak on behalf of the god of the universe they can't tell you what who jesus is for you they can't speak on behalf of god they can't tell you who you are right the spirits move in the demonic realm what they want to do is they want to speak lies over you they want to tell you there is no hope there's no joy there is nothing that you will ever do that matters in this world they want you to be completely hopeless and jesus goes no 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 you they, he rebuked them and go you have no power to ever speak truth because that power belongs to me because truth is not an idea or philosophy. It is a person, right? And so he rebukes them. And then things kind of settle down for a second. And we'll pick back up next week on that. And so we go, well, what do we learn from this? And I told you in the beginning, the big idea is um, you have just as much, and argue, argue more, authority than President Biden, or President-elect Biden, President Trump, Supreme Court, the Senate, House of Representatives. But you're going, wait, wait, no, we don't see that yet. We just see Jesus have authority. And it's like, aha! See, this is what's so crazy. This is the big aha moment. So you go, well, Jesus came to do that, came to do that and he came to establish his and to rule and reign in his kingdom. So he came to do this. Well, how does that matter? What, what does that matter for us? How, how do we understand it? Well, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to continue to walk and talk and speak and do miracles. And every time he does a miracle, it's not to show off his power. It's to actually reestablish re the kingdom that he came to do. Blind people should see. Lame people should walk. Dead people should live. So he, he came to kind of establish his kingdom, right? Came to establish it. And then he's going to die. And then he's going to be put on, he's going to be put on the cross and he's going to die and he's going to be put in the grave and it's going to be horrific and terrible. And then what's going to happen is he's going to come back to life out of that. And he's going to come and he's going to spend a little bit of time with his disciples. And what he's going to tell them is he's going to say, hey, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, stay here and you're going to receive my spirit. You know, the same spirit that landed on me when I came out of the, out of the water and the baptism, the same spirit that was on me when I opened up the scroll of Isaiah 58 and 61 and declared it to the people of Nazareth. That spirit, that same spirit, now, now you know what it does. It actually brings dead people back to life because it brought me out of the grave. That spirit, me, in another form, is going to come to you and you're going to receive my, hear this, power. And you're going to receive my authority. So the way by which Jesus walked and what he did to bring hope and healing to this world through speaking authoritatively over the enemy, over sickness, over death, is now going to be available to us. And you think I'm making it up? Let me read this to you. This is Colossians chapter 2. And Colossians was an interesting little house church that was starting to grow, but it was right in the middle of a really, really complicated world. And lots of new age, new ideas, kind of a new paradigm of how people were seeing spirituality. And it's like, spirituality is demonic in many ways what we see here and so this has been a place that had some smart people who are trying to influence the way that the church was going and in many ways they're trying to move it away from this idea that there is a god who had a spirit who indwelled his people into this more pragmatic no let's connect the dots you got to understand that let's have some high high church high teaching and so paul one of the one of the uh, first century christians who well, I, you know 
was influenced by demonic forces, was a, a murderer of people, and a, 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 a leader of systems that leverage power for his benefit, right? Who has this crazy encounter with Jesus post-death and resurrection on the road to Emmaus, I'm sorry, on the road to Damascus, and he receives God's spirit and everything else changes. And so Paul then is going to go and start churches and write letters to all these people. And so and in about 60 AD, he writes his letter to the church at Colossae. Now what's interesting is we don't get Luke's gospel until 85, so 85 AD. So this is 25 years earlier, meaning Luke would have read this. And he's going to write this letter going, you've got to understand what's happening for you and what's available to you. So I'm going to read Luke chapter, uh, I mean, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Here's what it says. So this is what he's writing to the church. That's you and me. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Got that? See that someone doesn't philosophically try to give you some idea that's going to fix your problems. Capitalism, socialism, Marxism. See that you don't think that all your hope is going to be put into that system, any of those systems, right? Captive by philosophy and empty deceit. It will not save you. It cannot fix you, right? According to human tradition. So whatever these great, valuable human ideas, they will not save you. They will not fix you. In fact, you see what it says? It will lead you to captivity. According to the elemental spirits of the word, world. So there's demonic forces at play. They're trying to convince you that some ideology is going to be enough for you. That some political party is going to be enough for you. And not according to Christ. For in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he's going, in Christ you have all the authority powered into a human being. So all the authority and all the power to, to, to bring about the kingdom of heaven, to end evil, is all in Jesus Christ. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we get that. That's really awesome. Now watch this. And you, Christians, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You see this. See, we don't, you see this. You see what's going on here. Paul's going, don't, don't get distracted by those things. No, 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 don't get, don't get caught up in politics. Here, what you got to understand is Jesus had all the authority in the world. And what does he decide to do with it? He fills his people. You have all the authority and you get to rule and reign. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So this goes back to Old Testament law. What that is, is it's a promise, a covenant that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to bend and shape all things. He's going to take what the enemy meant for evil and he's going to turn it for good. By putting off the body of flesh, remember you got to know our enemy. He's got two enemies there. You got the, the enemy and then you got our flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So this is Jesus putting his mark on his people. Verse 12, having been uh, buried with him in baptism, having died with him, the old us dying, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, and raised with him from the dead. So here's what he's saying, really important, really heady, and probably not too energetic. The old you doesn't have to be you anymore. When you place your trust and hope in Jesus, he comes in and he dwells in you. He takes up full residence. He runs off everything that's not of him. And then he gives you his power and his authority to walk in this world and declare his truth and declare his power to all people. When you say, Jesus, I want you to take up residence in my life. I want you to be Lord. That's what happens. And let me just be honest with you. I don't think you believe it. No, I don't think you believe it because I am a professional Christian. I've been a pastor for 19 years and it is so hard for me to believe it. That The spirit of the living God dwells within me. You hear me? The spirit of the living God dwells within you. The spirit of the living God dwells within you. His power and his authority is in you. He's, it's in you. And it says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the circumcision, uncircumcision of your flesh, you had no hope. Your house was filled with muck and mire. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You're forgiven. You have all the authority and the power and you have all the freedom in the world if you believe in this Christ. Now watch what it says as we finish up and the band's going to come up here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by a triumphing, triumphant by triumphing over them in him. See what this is saying? 
when Paul is telling us, hey, you're going to want to, church at Colossae, you're going to want to strap your emotion and your attention to the latest news and what's going on in the kingdoms and all that kind of stuff, what's going on in your nations and how it impacts you and your tax brackets and whether or not you get to keep your home and whether or not you get to keep your job, whether or not the stock market's going down, all those things, you're going you're gonna to get consumed with all those things, but do not be distracted by those spirits. Instead, would you just believe and understand that the Spirit of the living God, not those spirits, but the Spirit of the living God, paid the price for you and is available to you to walk into your life, to lead your life, and give you the power and authority to speak truth and hope and love to all people. The Scriptures literally said the power of life and death is in the tongue. So you want to practice this this week? How about you speak life with the authority and power that Jesus gave you? Speak life to your kids. Uncover value in them. Speak life at work. Speak, when everybody else wants to complain about what's going on in the kingdom or kingdoms or in the nation or what's going on on Facebook, speak life into that. Declare the goodness of God. Declare that his blood covers all sins of all nations. Declare that Jesus is going to rule and reign and he wants to begin that. Now you've got to speak that because that's what is in you. And I know it's so crazy to go, but that's not practical. It's not pragmatic. I'm like, do you believe it? If so, just try it. Just speak it. And here's how I'm going to give you the option to kind of begin to try that now. And so we're going to sing this song together that it says this. We are going to see a victory. We are going to see a victory. Regardless of the court cases, regardless of whether or not Trump had enough votes and he stays in as president, regardless of if president-elect Biden gets in, whatever those things are, right? We're going to see a victory. You know why? Because the battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to God. And so we're going to see, we're going to see a victory. We're going to claim that Jesus is going to do something because he has all the power and authority and he's given it to us to start speaking and declaring truth over this nation and over our homes and over our lives. We're going to see it. And what it says, the bridge is so good. It says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and all does he want this to be used for evil. All does he want to create more disunity, particularly in the church. Jesus pauses in John 15, 16, and 17 to pray for us and go, no, 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 don't let this disunify us. Right, the enemy wants to use it for evil. Well, could this be a moment where we get unified, not around our red or blue states, but around the story of the gospel, and we will see a victory because Jesus takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it for our good. So could we begin to start speaking this truth over our life? If you're in this depression or hopelessness, maybe this is how you speak it out of this because you have the authority given to you by Jesus, and that sounds really charismatic and Pentecostal, but it's also really biblical. So that we believe the truth of the scriptures and we start claiming them and we walk into the despair that we've currently lived in. So would you join me and stand up and sing with me these great, great words. darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh. Story ends. I'm gonna see a big 
kids that I saw worshiping this morning. What I thought was funny, sorry, I have too many things holding here, was um, while they were worshiping, then they also turned to their brother and started um, uh, distracting him, let's say, and were kind of arguing with one another. And it was a really good reminder because I think as adults even, we can find ourselves in these places of worship and then we can find ourselves so distracted by the world, and all of a sudden we're just pulled back right into those fleshly things. So I want to leave you with this. So I can read it. I'm going to say it's from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. But God has given us his spirit. This is why we don't think the same that the people of this world think. And this is also why we can recognize the blessings God has given us. So this week, I encourage you as you walk out those doors, may that be where the Spirit of God enters you. And may you be able to recognize every blessing that the Father has given you. So have a great week, and we will see you next week. I'm going to see a victory.